0: I remember a trip that Mike and I took years ago now um, where we went to Los Angeles and we, we flew overnight. We landed in LAX and we, um, we had a couple of days before we needed to be at the conference that we were there to do. And Mike, who you may or may not have realised is spontaneous, said to me, just turned to me and said, I've got an idea. Why don't we hire a car This is literally just after we got off the aeroplane. Why don't we hire a car now and drive to the Grand Canyon? And uh, he and I had, had been friends long enough by that point that I knew there was no point coming back at him with something called details about how far the Grand Canyon was and how long we'd been awake for. So I just said, let's do it. Um, so we hired this car, and we decided just for fun we, hire, we would hire a convertible. Um, so we've, we had this convertible Mustang, and we start driving to the Grand Canyon. Neither of us really understood how far away the Grand Canyon was. Um, and it, it was about 300 kilometers or something. It was, it was a long drive, and we had already been awake all night. Also, I couldn't drive the car in America, so Mike was the only person who could drive. So we're driving along, and I remember it got to the point where it was the middle of the night, in America, and we were sort of really struggling. We'd been awake for about 30 hours or straight by that point to stay awake. So we decided, let's put the top down of the car. That you know, then then the air will keep us awake. Um, not realizing, of course, we were in the desert. So the car was air conditioned. Then we put the top down. And it felt like someone just had a hairdryer going at you. So that started to send us off. And then we thought, well, why don't we put the radio on? And we can, you know, like sing along to the music and that will keep us awake. So um, one of the memories I will take to my grave is the two of us, three o'clock in the morning, driving through the desert, singing along. And the song that came on the radio was Puff the Magic Dragon. Um, <laughs> just singing along to Puff the Magic Dragon. Uh, I felt like I had this outer body experience at that point. Is, is this really happening? Um, and in the end, we didn't make it. We, we, just, we were too exhausted. We pulled over. Stayed in this motel, got up the next day, finished the drive. And, and to be honest, by the time we got up the next day, we were both pretty grumpy. We were, and as we were driving to the Grand Canyon, we were saying to each other, this better be a flipping big hole in the ground, right? Because it's, it's been such an effort to get here. And uh, we pull into the parking lot, get out, and then go and stand where everybody else was standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And, and honestly, when we stood there, our jaws just dropped. Um, well, the only word we could say to each other was just, wow, because the ground falls away in front of you and stretches to the horizon, this enormous, vast chasm, and to the right as far as you can see, to the left as far as you can see, and then, and then it gets more amazing because you start to walk down inside, and it's like you become immersed in it, um, and uh, the thing about hiking the Grand Canyon is that it's weird because you do the hard bit at the end. The hard bit is coming back up. I'm like a mountain where the hard bit's going up in the first place. Um, Mike and I, were actually, we, were, we went for a walk down inside it. And I remember that it got to a point where he was kind of running out of breath a little bit after about 10 to 15 meters. And um, he said to me, you know what, you carry on, Andy. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll wander down a little bit further. You carry on and then, you know, we'll meet up at the top again. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not what happened. No, I'm not going to have lying. I know you're the senior pastor now, and I'm, but that's not true. What happened was I said, mate, I'm really exhausted. Can we go back up? And he said, no, you go back up on your own, and I'm going to go down to the bottom, and then I'll come up and join you. Well, you could choose who you want to believe. Um, but uh, anyway, I, so I carried on. Down, I remember I carried on going down the Grand Canyon, and then and then I wanted to come back up. And to be really honest, the competitive bit in me wanted to get down to the bottom and then back up to the top before he made it back up to the top. So I was going as quick as I could. And I remember I found him again, um, and uh, I just remember it was just bizarre. Like he he was in a bad, genuinely a quite bad state by the point I, by the time I found him again, and he teamed up bizarrely, were these two Japanese tourists who also were in a really bad way. and The three of them had formed a little support group and they were, they were making their way back up very slowly. And the moment I turned the corner, he, he grabbed them both and he pointed at me and he said, there he is, the one who abandoned me, the murderer. And um, these Japanese guys had no idea what to make of it. But uh, anyway, that's not really the part of the story I wanted to say. Um, uh, but I, I remember we went to it, and it was utterly incredible. Then we left, and then for the next couple of years, I just talked to anyone who would listen about the Grand Canyon, and I got my photos out, and I told them the, you know, the story, and I was saying how incredible it was. And and then about two, two three years after that, we went back to the Grand Canyon. And uh, we just happened to be in the area, so we drove there again. And I remember, even though for the last two, three years, all I'd done is... Is talk to people about how incredible it was, even with that, we got to the edge of the Grand Canyon again, and I just went, wow. And the first thing that I think I said to Mike was, I've forgotten. I've forgotten how stunning it is. And we wandered down away again. I've forgotten how beautiful it is when you turn this corner, when you turn that corner. And it struck me in that moment that there are certain things you can memorise so you can memorise facts about the Grand Canyon. How deep is it? How long is it? How old is it? You can remember that kind of stuff, commit it to memory. But there are other things that it's so much more difficult and I wonder if it's impossible to really commit to memory. And one of those is beauty. You, you can drink it in when you're immersed in it. But, and however much you look at the pictures... And you go back, you know, you go back through it. It's like, it's as though you forget. And I say that by way of introduction because it strikes me that knowing God is, is a little like the second type. It's like we can memorize facts about God and we can, we can talk about doctrine about God and that's important. But, but his beauty is something that, I, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like I see him and I fall in love with him And then, no matter how hard I try, I forget. And then it's only when I come back to him and I see him again that I think, oh my word, I forgot how good you are. I I, I forgot how loving you are. And I say this by way of introduction because I want to talk about something that I know many of you know. Um, If you've been following him for a little while, you'll know this. I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is kind. I know you probably know that but what I want to invite you to do is come with me again and let's just see him again and one of the reasons I want to do this is because it is in many ways the most practical thing we can do to really know our God Um, you know we want techniques for prayer and we want advice about anxiety and we understand how we live with our finances and all of that's important but the truth is if we know him and, and we know he's good and he's for us. We relax when we come near him. We don't feel insecure about whether he's forgiven us or not. We don't need to be anxious about our future because we know he's faithful and we know he's with us. It's the most practical thing we can do is know him as he is. And if we want to know him as he is, the place to go is Jesus. Um, sometimes we can think Jesus is like God's PR move, you know, and behind Jesus, there's another God who's maybe not quite the same, but that's that's not how it is at all. God is absolutely Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am, you know what? You wanna know what the Father's like? Have a look at the Son. And uh, it says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What that means is that the God who is invisible becomes visible in Jesus. Put another way, there is no God in heaven who is not like Jesus Christ. And when we know Jesus and what makes him tick, we know God in his very heart. And uh, in his very heart, he's kind. So where do we see this? One of my favorite places is when Jesus kicks his ministry off and he stands up in a synagogue Somebody gives him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he unrolls it and starts to read. And this is him kind of announcing what he's here to do, his manifesto. It's the start of his ministry. So this is what he chooses to read. Uh, And in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And I don't know how you've imagined that moment in your head, but I have often imagined it a little like kind of what companies and businesses do at the start of their year, where they say, here's our targets for the year. You know, we're we're announcing what we're going to do. Or if you're part of an organisation of any kind, a school or, you know, the goal for the year is that we are going to create a faster delivery system for our customers. Or we're going to deliver a new curriculum. Or we are going to break into a new market. It's the kind of stuff that's like, yeah, it's important and it's probably what we're here for. But it's one of those things that a little bit is like you just you put it on your to-do list, and maybe you're not that passionate about it. That that's how I imagined Jesus making this announcement. Here's what I'm here to do. is very important, and I'm going to do it with diligence and responsibility. And, and I've realised um, my mistake. There is that's not what I think what's going on. This isn't just his mission. This is his heart. Um, this isn't just his plan. This is his passion. This, this is he wants to do this. He's, he's not saying, here's a list of stuff I'm going to do. It's not really, you know, I'm going to do it through gritted teeth. I'm going to make myself do it. What he's saying is I'm eager for this. I am, this is why I'm here. I'm excited for this. So it's a little like if my boys were to come down at the start of the year and say, Dad, here is our plan for the year allow us to read you our manifesto. And they say, we are going to play Nintendo. And we are going to play football. And we are going to eat a lot of chocolate. And we are going to eat many, many chicken nuggets. And we're going to have our friends around all the time. Logan and Joel and the whole gang are going to be here every afternoon. This is our plan for the year, right? What that is, is that's not a to-do list. That's a what they want to do list. This is what we want to do. Um, they're excited to do that. It's like that with the Lord in this moment. He's announcing, here's what I want to do. Here it is. I've come to set the oppressed free. And I've come to bring good news to the poor. And I've come to bring sight to the blind. Um, He's excited for it. And if we find that hard to digest, the solution um, to our difficulty with this is just to spend a bit of time with him in the stories in the Gospels because that's where we see this worked out in all sorts of places. So one of my favorites is there's a moment where a guy with leprosy comes to Jesus this is in Matthew chapter 8. And he says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the, uh, the response of Jesus is, it says, immediately. So straight away. doesn't have to be persuaded. Straight away, it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, when you had leprosy, you had an incurable disease, And not only that, but no one would touch you because they didn't want to catch it. So you were basically going to be socially distancing for the rest of your life. Jesus can heal people with a word. He doesn't need to touch them. But when this guy says to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean, straight away, he chooses to reach out and touch him because he's kind. Because no one's done that to this guy for however long he's had this disease. And he thought no one ever would in the future. But Jesus reaches out his hand, he touches him, and then he says, I am willing, be clean. And, and the Greek for that word, I am willing, the Greek is, it is my desire. If it's your desire, you can make me clean. It is my desire. It is what I want to do. That's what I'm here for. I've realized that if you read the Gospels, trying to get Jesus to, to, to heal somebody, is like trying to get Mike to eat a kebab. It's not difficult, in other words, it ain't hard. Like if you put a kebab in the room with him, it will get eaten. If you put Mike in the vicinity of a kebab shop, he will go and find it. In the same way, if you put Jesus around somebody who's got a problem, his desire, you know, he doesn't need to be persuaded. It's like, this is what I want to do. Boom, I want to heal them. It, 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 he says elsewhere, like, I need to go and find more people, basically. I've come to preach the good news in these other places as well, so let's go looking. There's another story where he's in a house, and it's packed with people. And some friends have a paralyzed man, and they bring him to Jesus. They can't get him into the house because there's so many people. So they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower this guy on a mat down in front of Jesus. And I love picturing this scene Um, and the moment that, you know, the sort of the drama and the chaos as he's coming down, and the moment this guy is lying there in front of Jesus, the first thing that Jesus says, before the guy has said anything, the friends haven't spoken yet either, Jesus just says to this guy on the mat, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And this is at a time when um, if you had something like that disease, people might say it's because you've sinned. Or it's because your parents sinned. They sin in your family, and that's why you've got this condition. And so you can imagine what this person would have felt about themselves. And they, they may well have, I, we don't know, but I imagine it in my mind that in a, a gut level, this guy thought he was sinful. He knew he was sinful. And, and he, he probably felt that his sin was as permanent as his paralysis, That just like he would never, ever be able to walk, he would never, ever be able to be forgiven. And so what happens is somebody bumps into Jesus in this moment. And what's inside of Jesus spills out. In the same way that if you're carrying a glass that's full, someone knocks you, what's in the glass just spills out without trying. Somebody bumps into Jesus in that moment. They land in front of him. And what spills out of Jesus is forgiveness. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on and heals his body as well. But it's his kindness. There's another moment that I I think really captures this. And it's in Mark's gospel. And this is the time when they've been really busy, Jesus and and the little gang of disciples. They've been really busy. And we're told they've been so busy they haven't had time to eat because they've been ministering to people. So Jesus says to them, hey boys, we, we need to have a break. Uh, let's go away to center parks on the other side of Lake Galilee. So they all pile in the boat and they, they start going across Lake Galilee uh, to have a break. And all of us, we, I don't know if you've, you can relate to this, but you get to a point in your work where you really do need a rest. You really do need to switch off. Those of you who are teachers can probably relate to this. This is the first day of your freedom. All right, so for the last six, seven weeks, it's been wiping snotty noses and trying to get kids to learn who don't want to learn and trying to get them to sit still. And can you imagine if, you, if you're like a teacher and you finally make it to half term, you collapse into half term, and you've booked yourself a little holiday at Center Parks, which is expensive but you deserve it. And you drive to Centre parks, you get into your swimming kit, you get there in the swimming pool, you're sitting there reading with a novel in the swimming pool and then you see a little child over in the wave pool and you think, they look familiar. And, um, and you start to get a little bit worried and then you think, oh no, wait, they are in my class. And then a few moments later you spot another one and then you spot another one and you realise to your horror, the parents have organised a whole class holiday at center parks and then it gets worse because the kids spot you and they come running up to you mrs nichols mrs nichols i can't find my goggles mrs nichols you know like and you're like no right what are you going to do in that moment you're going to have a breakdown probably is what you're going to do why because although you care about them you're not on the clock right you're you're, I, i have checked out this is my rest time now don't come to me with your issues and i can be like that i'm sure you can be too well, Jesus sets off, they haven't had time to eat. They're going on holiday, going to the other side of, of, of the lake. But uh, word gets out about where Jesus is going. It spreads around the lake. And so all of these people start jogging around the lake to get to the destination before Jesus does. So that by the time he arrives, there's not 30 snotty pupils waiting for him. There's a crowd of thousands of people waiting for him to land on the other side. And uh, if I were him in that moment, as I'm sure you'd be the same, I'd be like, no, I have given enough to the point of not being able to eat. I need a break for me now. But his instinct, and this is why it's so important to us, this is his natural instinct. It's what spills out because it's what's inside of him, is this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The thing is, our compassion is really limited, and it's really up and down. Um, Beth and I, we've been doing some stuff to our house. So for the last little while, we've been renting a, a different house and staying there. And uh, for the last six, seven weeks, our bath and shower have not really worked. They've sort of worked sometimes. So uh, the pump, I don't really understand it, but the pump is broken. And the landlord is apparently also broken too. So he won't do anything about it. So you switch it on and sometimes hot water comes out. And other times, absolutely nothing happens apart from a gentle humming noise. And so we don't know from time, from day to day whether we're going to be able to wash or not. So we've had dinners where we've gone upstairs, switched on the tap, nothing's happened. We've left it on. We've gone downstairs. We've started eating with the kids. And then suddenly, argh, the water starts coming out. And we're like, quick, get them in the bath before it's too late. You know, <laughs> Get them a wash because we don't know the next time we'll be able to do it. Our compassion is a little like that bathtub. It's like, is it going to happen today or not? Depends on the week. You know, turn it on. Is there any, any love there? Any kindness there? Depends how I'm doing. But God's compassion is not like that. Years ago, Mike and I and my little boy, Josiah, we went to Niagara Falls. Now, Niagara Falls is another one of those things that if, you don't, if you've never seen it, you've never seen it because the videos don't do it justice. But you, I remember getting to the edge of Niagara Falls with Josiah, who was 10 months at that point, and his eyes were on stalks as he looked at this waterfall. And actually, it wasn't just him. Our eyes were on stalks as well, because what's incredible about it is the volume of water that is pouring over the edge of this cliff. And not only is it pouring, but it's mesmerizing because it just keeps coming and you think surely there's going to be a point where like it's going to get you know the river's going to run dry as some the amount of water that has been just going over the edge while we've stood here for 20 minutes it's going to run dry at some stage right but it doesn't it just keeps on flowing and we make the mistake of thinking he's like us that his compassion's like this thing that might be there or it might not be there, but he's not like us. And what his mercy's like is it's like the mighty Niagara that just keeps on flowing. And we think, well, surely it's going to come to an end now. Surely his patience has worn thin now, but it hasn't because, this, because he's merciful, because he's kind, because this is our God. And so we see times where he has compassion on people and he heals them. He has compassion on people and he feeds them. He sees a widow about to bury her only son. He has compassion on her. He raises her son. The only two times Jesus is recorded as crying is over other people. He cries at the tomb of his friend Lazarus who's been taken from him, though he knows he'll raise him again. He cries over Jerusalem because he understands the suffering that's coming to them. He's full of compassion. And, and this word compassion is a really strong one. It's like literally means a tearing of your guts. It, 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 it's it, To understand God is to understand that in his belly is compassion. His anger, it, it says in the Bible he has to be provoked to that. And it's like his anger has a massive lock on it. It's really hard to get him to be angry. But his mercy, it's like the, the screen on an iPhone. You touch it and it lights up. You just tap it and it lights You just come near him and it it pours out of him. He's slow to anger, but he abounds in love. And, uh, And we see that because we see the way he relates to the struggling and the despised and the rejected. He moves towards them. If compassion were to become a human being and walk around among us, what would it look like? We don't have to wonder, we can just look at him. And yet, knowing that, We can sometimes come to him so hesitantly. We're we're not sure. And that's not because of him. That's our stuff that holds us back a lot of the time. So I remember I worked for a couple of weeks in a hospital as a chaplain. And I ended up having three separate conversations just over the period of two weeks with people who told me that they wanted to die. And with each of them, I said, what makes you say that? And their response to me was, I don't want to be a burden to my family. I wish I'd go because I just feel like I'm just such a burden to to my family. And there is something in us as human beings. We don't want to be a burden to other people. We bring that into our relationship with God. We don't want to burden him with our issues. Um, But you know, the truth is this. If you want to bless him, give him your burdens. It's like it gets him excited. He rejoices when we do it. I think of it like when my oldest son comes home from school, some days he's had a bad day. And I say to him, I can tell from the moment he walks out the gates, I say, how's it been today? Fine. Did anything happen today? No. Okay. And I know something's up and I won't rest until I find out what it is. So, you know, we'll, we'll watch TV together or whatever. We'll have some dinner. And I keep asking, keep trying to get him to open up, keep trying to find a way of doing it. And often, usually when I'm tucking him into bed at night, he tells me what's going on. And do you know what? There's a part of me that's grieved because I hear about a friend said this to me or this happened and it grieves me. But there's another part of me that rejoices. You've told me, you've told me. I want to carry it with you. I want to share this with you. What do we think he's like? When we bring him our burdens, what do we think he's like? He loves that. Finally, because he's kind, he wants us to open up. And we can think when we struggle, here's another thing. We think, he doesn't want to be near me. The reason we think that is because our world is attracted to the celebrities, the achievers, the wealthy, the famous, the beautiful people on Instagram. That's, that's who our world is drawn to. We think that God can be like that. And so we think, you know what, he'll be drawn to me when I'm attractive. Um, my, my, my life's a mess at the moment, but if I can get that sorted out, then he'll want to know me. I, I sin too often now. So if I can tidy up my sin, then he'll come. And, and we've missed the fact that one of the names that was given to him was, by his enemies no less, this person's a friend of sinners. Not the people that used to be sinners, but the sinners. And that isn't because he doesn't care about sin It's because he cares about us so much. If your kid throws up, do you tidy up the vomit? Of course we do. That's not because we like vomit. We hate vomit. It's because we love our kids more than we hate the vomit. And he loves us so much, he'll he'll do anything for us. And to understand God is to understand not just that he sits and waits for us to bring him our burdens, but even more than that, even more than that, he comes looking for us. He chases us down. Psalm 23, the final verse of it is, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But do you know what a better translation of that is? Surely goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. Pursuit. You've probably never been on a motorway where the police start pursuing you. But I've driven around a lot with Mike, and so I've had that experience. <laughs> and uh, they come out, and they're like, lights going, you know, right, you know, chasing you down, right? And if that happens on a motorway, they're chasing you down because they want to give you a ticket and a telling off. But when God does it, it's like he's a police car chasing us down, pursuing us. Getting us to pull over by the side of the road, not because he wants to give us a ticket and a telling off, but because he wants to give us good news that will set us free. He wants to give us a message so beautiful, so pure, so lovely, he can't hold himself back. He doesn't want to wait till we get home. He wants to give it to us now. He's kind. And finally, to finish, when we come to understand this, that the more we come to him, the more his heart is filled because it's what he loves to do to help us. Uh, We might ask the question, well, what does his kindness look like in my life now? And it looks like Jesus, you you can't add to him. At the same time, we see gifts of kindness, as it were, that come in. So, So one example would be his presence, his presence in the way that he meets with us. If you were here last week, you'd have heard Mike's intern, Yanina, talking about when they were in New Zealand a few weeks ago, and God gave her a word of knowledge. Uh, He said to her, There's a couple coming to this church. They've just lost their son. He's died, and his name is Daniel. Something she could never have known. And she ended up uh, sharing that with this, and she prayed, Lord, what do you want me to say to them? And he said, I want you to tell them, Daniel's with me, he's in my arms. And at first I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? What a word of knowledge. What a powerful thing that God's just done. The more I thought about it, the more the thing that hit me was, how incredibly kind you are, God. Just to put yourself in the shoes of that couple who've lost their son. And then the very next time they come to church, a total stranger from from England comes over to them, and they know the name of the son, and they have a message for them that that son's with the Lord now. I mean you you never move past the grief on one level but what a comfort that would be for all the years of your life to know that truth how kind he is what does this kindness look like in our lives Um, I finish with this for me I look back at the last few years and I think where did I see your kindness God so many places his presence but also here's another big one in his people we are his body so we live out his kindness It's expressed in the way that we look after each other. For me, um, there weren't many highlights of lockdown, but one of the highlights was a lady called Ruth Yule, who was part of our church family for many years uh, until she went to be with the Lord. And during the, the first lockdown, there would regularly, about once a week, be a knock on my door and I would open it up and there on the doorstep was a cake. Sometimes it was a carrot cake. Sometimes it was a lemon drizzle. Sometimes it was a chocolate cake. Sometimes there wasn't a cake. It was just Ruth apologizing. She hadn't managed to find any eggs. Do you remember when that sort of stuff was hard to get? And it, and it was like, what did, what did his kindness look like? His kindness looked like a carrot cake. I think sometimes of Mike, my friend, and this isn't a joke. You know, God's kindness to me and bringing him into my life. When I met him, I was this icy frozen sort of 18-year-old teenager and, and the Lord in his kindness brought this Greek, over-the-top, eccentric into my life. And that's like putting a snowman next to a furnace. You know, I just, I melted, I melted. He's been so good to me, so kind to me. And part of our journey with it is, is to drink his kindness in and also it's to join with him In the ministry of kindness. How are people ever going to know how kind our God is if they don't see how kind his church is? How are they going to know that? And it's for us to love each other in this way and to understand and remind ourselves to come back again, stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, look at his beauty, drink it in. I forgot how kind you are. I thought you were like this tap, like my compassion, but no. You're like a waterfall of mercy that never, ever, ever fails. Wow.